Lord, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to give and worship you with these gifts. We ask your blessing upon this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. While the, uh, while the offering is being taken, uh, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to continue in Ephesians where we left off last week. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, last week we talked about the mystery of the gospel and how Paul was commissioned by God to be a teacher of this mystery to the church. And we also discovered that it is not God's intent for the gospel to remain a mystery. It was a mystery, but he doesn't want it to remain a mystery. That his will today is that all men everywhere might totally understand the gospel and come to know it through Christ. And Paul begins this section, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he's describing the content here of his prayers for them. And it echoes the language that we saw over in chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So these verses in chapter 3 detail yet another prayer that Paul prayed for these same people. And again, he explains to them exactly what he's praying about. I'm praying that God is going to strengthen you with his power and that he will establish you in his love so that you may begin to fully understand how great his love is and that you will be filled to the brim with that love and that power. Wow, cool prayer. The key word in this section of Ephesians I believe is power and by that Paul intended for the Ephesian Christian believers to begin to understand the incredible power that was available to them in the name of Jesus Christ and we're talking about spiritual transformation as we go through Ephesians if you remember and we've seen that it is God's will for each of us to be transformed on the inside and we've seen that in order for us to lead fulfilling and God-honoring lives, God has to do some inner rebuilding so that we can accomplish His will. He's got to do some stuff on the inside of us or else His will is not going to be accomplished in me 
And, uh, and that's his work in us. There's a verse in Romans that says something very similar to what he was saying here in Ephesians. Paul said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what we'll see tonight is that it takes an act of God's power to bring about the transformation I need inside of me. It, it really does take his power to do it. And that's why we're focusing on that word power tonight. Without power, any change that we try to affect on our own is always going to end in failure every time, hopelessness every time. We really need him really bad. Just to make sure that the Ephesians knew how important this power of God was, Paul spoke of it in chapter 1 as well, within the context of his prayer for them. So he mentioned power in chapter 1, he's mentioning it again in chapter 3. I pray, he said in chapter 1, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power again the word is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms so it's the greek word dunamis that he uses for power here in chapters one and chapters three and it all means literally power it just means power or might Uh, in chapter three verse 19 he uses power but the word is a different greek word kratos uh, and it just it's just translated might strength force may the force be with you may the kratos be with you But regardless of the Greek word that's used in these sentences, whether it's a verb or a noun or an adjective, whatever, we all get the message. We get it. When Paul spoke of God's influence on us and his ability in us, he always associated that ability of God with great power. It's like an unstoppable force. You maybe have heard the theological term omnipotence. God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. That's what he means here. Uh, The power of an unstoppable force God has put in us. And there's nothing, nothing in heaven and earth that can resist that power. When we think of God and his influence on the universe, it's very easy to think too small. There are reasons for that. There's a reason why we think too small. We gravitate that way, and it's because we're pretty small ourselves, aren't we? And our intellect is finite. And as a result, it's very difficult for finite minds to get a grip on infinite things, especially when you think about infinite power. I mean, we we just can't relate to that. Do you remember when you were a kid and you, you, you tried to imagine where all of the stars in the sky end. You know, you'd be staring up at the sky at night and you're going, how far does it go? My dad uh, graduated from Purdue University, you know, and he had a, a research engineer degree. And I always used to bug him with questions like that. Dad, where does the universe end? Where do the stars end? He'd always go, just a long way off, Joe. That's all I can tell you. You know, he didn't know. He couldn't figure it out. He had to admit that. Um, I I just thought it was fascinating that finite uh, man could live in an infinite universe. And that as far out as my eye could see, there was space and more space. Wow. 
And then I became a Christian. And my attention turned to the infinity of God. And one of the first questions that always started coming to my mind was, and maybe you can identify with this, is where did God start? And of course, the correct answer is that God has no start. He's just always existed. He always will exist. No beginning, no end. Try to wrap your mind around that. It's hard. Huh? Do you ever wonder about that stuff? Do you ever have God moments, you know, when you try to imagine the extent of God's power and, and presence and then you end up with your, your mouth open and your tongue hanging out and you're going, I don't think I get this. <laughs> Did you know that you are the only creature other than the angels whom God has made, you are the only one who has the capability to even wonder about stuff like that? Your dog doesn't think about this stuff. I know you think he does. But he's not. He has two or three things on his mind and you know what they are. And God's infinity isn't one of them. And that's why I say it's easy for us. It's easy for us to think about this stuff and to think small and miss the enormous. And it's good to think about the enormous, guys. Another reason we have difficulty in this is because not only are we physically small in size compared to this universe, and our minds seem limited in understanding infinite things, that we, our brain just has such a hard time wrapping itself around this stuff. And as we've seen already, it's just hard to wrap our understanding around things that we can't see, we can't measure. It's an invisible kingdom right now. But our inner man, even though our outer man doesn't get it, our inner man is always telling us that this stuff is real. It's there. It's very important that Paul mentions power in these verses. For me to undergo the spiritual transformation that is necessary for spiritual growth, it really does take an encounter with God and His power. It just has to happen that way. We're about to make a major shift in this teaching in Ephesians from the philosophical to the practical. These verses in chapter 1 through 3 are equipping verses. And by that I mean that Paul teaches us in them. He outlines the sovereignty of God and the privileges of the believer in Christ. And he reminds us all of how God brought us from death to life uh, through uh, the working in his son Jesus Christ. And by this he equips us for living this life. In chapters 1 to 3, picture yourself just sitting in a classroom. Or better yet, picture yourself sitting on a hillside in Galilee or, or sitting by the, the, the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is teaching from a boat. Maybe in a synagogue there in Capernaum. Because that's what's going on or he's teaching this stuff and he's on this hillside or he's in a boat or he's in the synagogue and there's a lot of cool stuff going on in these three chapters that's kind of what it's like a classroom teaching for us and they are designed as reminders to us as believers where Paul tells us what he told us and then he's telling us again over and over and over he's telling us and he's telling us and he's telling us again 
It's because repetition is necessary for us. We forget easily. And these words referring to God's power in us are a final classroom lesson before he transitions into the next part of Ephesians. And from here to the end of Ephesians, the point of this letter turns from learning to doing. And you'll notice that as you read ahead. Believers, it is important for us to absorb and understand the truth that an unspeakable power now resides in us since we have believed in Jesus Christ. And it is that power that we draw on in order to live this life. So let's take another look at that power before we move on to the the doing stuff. I read a great book by John Piper not long ago. It was called The Pleasures of God. Chapter 2 is entitled, The Pleasure of God in All That He Does. And he quotes Psalm 135, verse 6, to start that chapter. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. And again in Psalm 115, verse 3, we read, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And the underlined word for John Piper in these verses is not what we might think. We would probably underline the word does, but Piper underlines the word pleases. And associated with God's ability, his power, is the fact that he does what pleases him. God always, always does what gives him pleasure. Have you thought of God's power in that way before? That it is God's great pleasure to exercise his power on our behalf in the universe he enjoys it but that is what his word says and you can make that personal too it is also God's great pleasure guys to exercise his limitless power in little old you wow he enjoys exercising his power inside of you to help you grow Piper writes of God's power and pleasure. God acts in sovereign freedom. His acts do not spring from the need to make up deficiencies, but from the passion to express the abundance of his delight. He is free in that he has no deficiencies that make him dependent. God has no serious competitors for his power. Yeah. Have you ever thought of God's power in you that way? No other serious competitors. That it is God's greatest pleasure to release his power in you so that you might live fully and happily for him. That is precisely what Paul prayed for in this third chapter. That out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. First, we have to see this about God at work in us, that he is delighted and pleased to do so. For the Holy Spirit to be at work in you, transforming you, empowering you, this is not drudgery and misery for God. He enjoys that work. He's not going, oh no, I've got to do this again in him. It's it's a joy, I'm telling you. Instead, it it delights God every moment of your existence to bring you an enabling power 
when you need it most so that he might be glorified in you it delights him to do that it is his greatest delight and once we have seen the pleasure of God in working according to his power in us it is also good to understand the magnitude of that power and this for earth-dwelling human beings can be pretty disconcerting at times so like I said before we just can't get around it I was reading from an article by Dan Ratzlaff the other day about his first encounter with a tornado anybody here been in a tornado before I mean really close to one I've been in a couple of hurricanes before but not a tornado not close up he said one personal encounter with a power that before was only theoretical can make all the difference amen to that after that you respect the power you live in awe of its presence and you tremble to think of its potential above all you live in profound humility because you recognize your inability to control it I remember this short conversation between Lucy and Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Mr. Beaver is trying to explain to Lucy the might and the majesty of Aslan the Lion. Remember that part? Is, is, is he safe? said Lucy. Safe? replied Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but good. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe. The magnitude of his power is beyond human description. And for some of us, when we think about it, it can be downright scary. Remember how Paul prayed in chapter 1 that the Ephesians' eyes might be opened to his incomparably great power for those of us who believe there he prayed that they might see that power here he prayed that they might experience that power in the Old Testament we have the law of God given to the people of Israel as kind of a moral code to keep them from self-destruction but in the New Testament God gives something entirely different Catherine Booth describes it this way, what the law or the Old Testament tried to do by a restraining power from without, the gospel does by an inspiring power from within. The difference between a restraining power and an inspiring power is the difference between life and death, guys. God delights in placing His power within us but he also wants us to see it and understand it. He wants us to meditate on it and experience it because he knows it is life-giving. It is inspiring. It brings life and health to us. He's not just trying to hold us back from screwing up anymore. God is, is pushing us ahead with his power and saying, you're not going to mess up anymore. I want you to move ahead in my power. No more restraints. You go ahead. Believe me for the impossible. 
And what comes of this inner revelation to me of this mighty power? What happens in me? What, what comes is yet a further revelation. When God strengthens the inner man with his power, Christ does take up residence inside of me and through my faith. And then we become rooted and established in love. And having been thus established, we begin to grasp, as Paul puts it, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And from that, we begin to know his love that surpasses knowledge. And once we begin to know this love that is something beyond all human understanding, then we get filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. I mean, there's some powerful words. To know the love of Christ, to have it in us, and then as a result we begin to see God as he is, and then God fills us with all of his fullness. Wow. You can almost see this kind of like a line of dominoes, all kind of falling in succession. Once the initial movement takes place. And this is what happens in a human heart. Once Christ takes up residence there and he begins to do his work. It's how transformation begins in me. And it's all about God's power at work inside of us. Once the dominoes start to fall in you, man, look out. It's going to be cool. Chapter 4 through 6 in the book of Ephesians are kind of like this list of expectations that God has for his church. Paul knew that God's people had to be reminded of what was expected of them, yes. But he also knew they could not meet those expectations on their own. And he knew that was true because he knew about himself. If anyone living in those days could have fulfilled God's expectations in their own strength, it certainly would have been Paul. But Paul was a broken man, wasn't he? And we discovered that about him as we studied the early part of this letter to the Ephesians. He's a broken man. He had personal knowledge of his own failure and weakness. And he also understood, or he was beginning to understand, God's limitless power. And that is why he prefaced always his lists of expectation to the believers with very strong teaching on the power of God at work inside the believer. He never gave the church a list without first teaching the church about God's power because he knew what it was going to take for them to obey those lists. And that's why we're covering this one, this subject of, of Jesus Christ in you. We're going to do this one more time tonight before we go on in Ephesians. Paul knew it was really a hard concept for people to grasp. Uh, you know, and, and it's really still that way today. When we think about the, the power of God and the presence of God in, inside of us working in it, it's, it's not an easy thing to understand. And I get that. I, I have a hard time remembering that sometimes myself. But if, if you put it very simply, no man, no woman can serve God, with God without God's enabling power transforming them on the inside first. And when that happens, guys, the sky is the limit. It is the limit. If it does not happen first, though, we are mad if we think we're going to live that life. We're crazy. It can't happen. Pastor Lathan's been teaching about the Holy Spirit over in uh, the Bayside room. Is that the name of that room over there? And it's really been, I sat in on a couple of the classes the last couple of weeks, and it's, it's fascinating listening about how the Holy Spirit works in us, and that's, that's exactly what he's been talking about over there, 
about the power of Christ in you and how it's necessary that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that is what enables us to live out this, this incredibly difficult life these, and fulfill these expectations that are placed in front of us as the church. Because of God's exceedingly great power, Peter the Apostle wrote to us that we have everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That means that the all-powerful God wished to also be the all-sufficient God to us and that we might have all the things that we need for the purpose of living this life and honoring him. It's all yours. And God's saying, I'm going to give you everything you need to live this life. Don't worry. And in the center of all of this is his love. The resident power of God in us is made available by the resident Holy Spirit in us who then reveals to us the resident love of God in us, through us. At one point in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul asked a rhetorical question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is equal to such a task? What human alive can meet God's expectations. But in the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul answers his own question. Our competence or our sufficiency is from God. The bottom line in all of this is that God doesn't expect things of us that we cannot give because he knows we can't give anything anyway without him. It's impossible. He knows that. And knowing we cannot give it, God has done something that we cannot do. He has come to live in the human heart. At least those of us who open our hearts. And by his powerful presence there, he enables each one of us to meet his expectations. And how does this all play out in the practical? How does God behave when he's in you? I was talking to this brother tonight before we started tonight. He was telling me, he said, Pastor Joe, everything's been really good except for my attitude. I, I'm just working on my attitude and I keep struggling. Right, brother? And I said, yeah, join the club. <laughs> attitude. Man, that's a hard one to conquer, isn't it? It takes God's power. It takes God's power. That's the only thing that can break a bad attitude. It's going to take a miracle for Randy Moss, I'm telling you. <laughs> that man needs Jesus' power really bad. You heard he said about the caterer over there in Minnesota? My goodness. Right in front of the man. You'll read it in the paper tomorrow if you haven't heard it yet. Oh, my. How does this figure out in my life? Here's some scenarios. See if you can identify with some of these scenarios. You lose your job unexpectedly due to company layoffs and there's high unemployment in the area and there are very few openings in your line of work. What do you do? How are you going to react? You're facing sleepless nights for many nights and the prospects for your future begin to actually feel oppressive when they should be bringing you pleasure. How do you deal with that? Your life is shattered by divorce or the death of a loved one. What to do? How do you get through something like that? Will I ever be normal again? 
I'm not sure I can go on, you might say. Yeah, I know the feeling. It's tough. Maybe your world is rocked when one of your kids ends up in jail for drug possession. What then? Does God want to be uh, does God even want to be close to me when my kid's been arrested for drugs? What kind of a parent am I anyway? How can I claim God's power and presence when I've already failed him like this? How about this one? I'm really being tempted by sin. My old desires have returned out of nowhere and I'm feeling myself spinning out of control. Where is God in this? How do I get through these paralyzing temptations? How do I get through this? I am describing in these four examples typical things that Christian believers go through all over the world all the time. And often we fold. We are momentarily paralyzed by fear or hopelessness or worry and thoughts of God's indwelling power and our confidence in His grace. They just take flight. They disappear in those moments. You see, just because the power is there, it doesn't mean we use it. God wants us to use it, but we fail. And I know part of the reason why we fail You know, when our armed forces are being trained for battle, they start in boot camp. Mark is speaking to the military tonight. I think they're putting them through boot camp. We were talking about that before church started tonight. Yeah, he told me, he did. He told me he had to speak on a military gig tonight. I'm going, yeah, I bet they're just going to put him through boot camp or something. (laughs) See you next year, Pastor Mark. When you go and you train for battle, you start in boot camp, you go through months and months and months of repeated exercises that are called drills. There are marching drills, obstacle course drills, running, crawling drills with backpacks on, rifle drills, combat drills. There's no secret to learning how to be a skilled battlefield ready soldier. There's no secret to it. It's all drills. And how often have you heard soldiers say that when they are actually in a battle with the real live enemy, they don't have to stop and think about what to do next. Why? Because the drill training just kicks in, doesn't it? And their responses to situations are automatic and they run on battlefield instinct. That's what I'm talking about. That is a big factor for us, guys. We forget that we are in a battle in the first place. And second, we don't train for it seriously enough. We just don't. This guy tells this story. While he was visiting the Grand Coulee Dam with his family, my family and I were surprised to see that the visitor center was dark. It was a sunny day, so we thought, well, the center might have tinted windows. We got closer, realized there were no lights on in the visitor center. We went in, saw that none of the displays were working, and suddenly became clear there's no power to the center. Due to a technical difficulty, 
some kind, the visitor center that sat only hundreds of feet away from the Grand Coulee hydroelectric dam had no power. Imagine being that close to such an immense source of power and the lights won't go on. I'm convinced that's what happens to us when the crisis hits. Is everybody hearing me? We just aren't hooked up to the source. We haven't been doing the drills, guys. We haven't been preparing for future crisis. And then it hits, and we flip the switch, and there's no power. And we wonder why. Haven't been doing the drills. Christianity cannot and will not work like that. You can't, you can't just expect magic out of your Christian experience when you haven't been practicing it. When you hit a crisis, one thing you don't need, guys, is another Bible study. I want you to keep coming to Bible study. But when you hit the crisis, I'm not going to be there, and Pastor Mark isn't either. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're going to have to figure it out. Am I going to tap into the power, or am I not? Because if you do, the power will be there to get you through your crisis. You need power in those moments, you've got to do the drill. You've got to know the drill. And turning to Christ in those moments has got to be kind of like breathing. And when you're accustomed to doing so, you draw on something that is just as real to you as your problem is real. And that is the presence and the power of God within you. He does not intend on being your bail bondsman when you're in trouble, guys. That is not God's role in your life. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. Verse 20 and 21, we read, This book of Ephesians begins with a doxology and a hymn of praise to God. And here is another very short doxology at the end of this chapter and concludes this first half of this letter To God be the glory, and rightfully so. Amen? Think about what Paul has just said to them. That this glorious, power-filled God now lives in each believer. And he's able to do for that believer and for that church immeasurably more than all that they can ask or imagine. 1 Corinthians, Paul quoted Isaiah 64, 4, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. If Paul were here today, he would say it this way, You can't even imagine what God has in store for you. You can't even imagine what happens when you invoke His name when you're in trouble. You can't even imagine the breadth and the width and the height and depth of love that God has for you if you will just learn to trust in Him. That would be a modern-day paraphrase of what he was saying right there. You guys, there's a lot more inside of you than you think there is. The problem is we're not doing the drills. We're not taking advantage of quiet moments with Jesus every day which we need to do. 
Some people come to church when they feel like coming to church. Some people read the Bible when they feel like it, which is about twice a year. Or never. You know how that goes. Whoever feels like reading the Bible, come on. It's just a, it's a discipline that you've got to get into. I mean, who feels like going and running around the track, you know, 20 times a day getting ready for football season? Nobody wants to do that. It's just you know that you've got to do it to get ready if you're on a football team. It's just got to be done. It's preparation. On July 15, 1986, Roger Clemens, uh, hopefully the pre-steroid Roger Clemens, that sizzling right-hander for the Boston Red Sox, started his first All-Star game. In the second inning, he came to bat, something that he had not done in years because in the American League, uh, they have the designated hitter rule. And so the pitchers never have to pitch. And he took a few uncertain practice swings and then he looked out at his forbidding opponent on the National League pitcher's mound, Dwight Gooden, who the previous year had won the Cy Young Award and Gooden wound up and threw a white hot fastball right past Roger Clemens. And he had this kind of embarrassed smile on his face and he stepped out of the batter's box and he turned to Gary Carter, the catcher, and he said, is that what my pitches look like? shaking his head and Carter just looks up and smiles and said yep you bet that's what they look like and you know what it was a transforming moment for Roger Clemens he struck out very quickly but he went on to pitch three perfect innings in that game and he was named the game's most valuable player do you know what happened when Clemens took that fastball he had a revelation of what his own pitches looked like you see, it energized him for the rest of that game. And it boosted his confidence to the point where he became convinced that no batter that day was going to hit his fastball. And they didn't. They didn't. That's what you and I got to have. We got to have a revelation moment of what the power of God inside of us looks like to the devil. We don't get it, man. But when you start hooking up with Jesus Christ, when you start doing the drill, your little light bulbs are going to start coming on. And you're going to discover, oh, I look like that to him? Yes, you do. When Pastor Mark and uh, I were in this group that he's told you about before, traveling around the United States, uh, living in tents and having meetings in tents, you've heard his stories, but... When we were in the southern part of the United States with our tent meetings, we would periodically invite a local African-American choir to come and sing at our meetings. And one song that the choirs invariably sang at all of our tent meetings was, My God Can Do Anything But Fail. And it turned into one of my favorites. My God Can Do Anything But Fail. (laughs) How about your God? Does that sound like your God? Is your God capable of failure? Is your God capable of copping out when things get rough? What about the incomparable power to those who believe that Paul speaks about here? Have you seen, have you seen, guys, what your fastball looks like to the devil? Have you seen it? You wouldn't believe it. 
Do you understand the effect that it has on the enemy when you show up with the Holy Spirit of God inside of you? I mean, it's, it's powerful. If you don't understand that, you've got to take a second look at who you are and who you believe in. Believers, you are much more effective than you could ever hope or imagine. You just don't understand it. Because of Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His mighty power that is at work within us. And to that God, our God, we give glory today. And Paul finishes, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll finish with this story. Uh, Mark and, and I and Debbie and, and my wife Gail were, were uh, in Rome, Italy once. And um, we were passing out flyers at the University of Rome, which was about 80% communist in 1974 when we were there. And um, so we were right outside the student union there at the University of Rome. And, and we would come there every day. And we had our Bibles, big, big Bibles, and we had our long hair, and we had our flyers and we were passing things out and telling people about Jesus and inviting them to come to our meetings that night in the tent and there was this guy who was the ringleader of the communist party group that was in that met in the student union and that was their territory they didn't want us there but we'd come there anyway and just annoy them and uh and um so we'd be there and this guy uh started pushing us around and he'd, he'd he'd drum up support and and he'd get some of his uh, buddies to come over and hassle us and, you know, push us around or try to hassle our, our girls that were there too, passing out flyers for Jesus and smiling and loving people. And these guys were just nasty and they were relentless. They wouldn't give up. And they would, every once in a while, they would tear Bibles out of our hands. And one day they tore a couple of Bibles out of their hands and the flyers and they went back over behind this tree and lit a fire and burned our Bibles you know, while we stood there trying to witness. And <laughs> other days they just had it with us and they'd chase us out of there and throw us out in the streets and beat on us. And it was just insane, you know. I'll never forget, though, one day. I, I finally had it up to here. And, and um, you know, I, I'm standing there and this jerk, you know, comes up to me. And I've got my Bible like this, and I've got my, my Jesus literature over here, and I'm passing it out, and I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm doing. And this guy just comes behind me, and he starts yanking on my Bible, trying to pull it out of my, from under my arm. And I was like, I'm going to slug this guy. God help me. And uh, all of a sudden, I, was, I just felt something come over me. And I turned to this guy, and I just laid my hand on his shoulder, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you stop doing this. I bind whatever is in you, and I'm telling you to stop right now. And all of a sudden, the guy's hands shot up in the air, and he moved back, and in English, an Italian guy in English says, Whoa, man, stop. I'm okay. It's cool. All right. And I didn't touch him other than just put my hand on his shoulder, and he ran off, and he never bothered me again. And I just tell you that story because up until that point, we felt very intimidated by these people. Very intimidated. And I, I just, what was, what was wrong with us that we didn't see the power of God? But we didn't. 
until that point, that moment. And then I, I had that moment and I, I saw Jesus do something in him, in that guy that I, I could, could not have predicted. He can do that for you. There's none of us that is more special than the next person. He can do that for you. He can do whatever he, you know you need him to do. You just got to be able to tap into the power in that moment. Let's pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together and ask, Lord, that your word would just reside in us. We pray, Jesus, that through your spirit, light bulbs would go on tonight that each one of us would begin to realize the power, the unimaginable authority that we have because we belong to you and we're tied into you. And help us to face every life situation with that confidence. Not arrogance, but just quiet confidence, Lord, knowing that you're there for us and you're going to get us through the worst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.